moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously on Cascading Leadership. Let's think about this. I'm talking to you. I'm saying, okay, I've got this person who knows a lot about your business and your industry. They've been studying it a while. They're really in tune on it. They're offering up a call to give you some thoughts or some advice. Would you like to take a call with this person? I think you would say, yes, I'm always up for a call for some advice on something I might do. And I say, oh, by the way, some of the things they're going to suggest you to do, they might cost some money. You're going to have to invest some money if you really want to be successful at what you're doing. The first thing you would say to me is, of course, I'll take that. I'll take that advice. I'm willing to spend some money if it means I do better in my business. We would all take that call. And yet, if I say, I've got a sales call, I'd like you to take. If I change that word from advice to sales, the walls go up, the reticency comes up, the cringiness. And when you say, why is that? And now the conclusion of our conversation with Helen Calvin. Those are the things I'm looking for. And that's the myth. The reality is really great sales teams and sales reps ask questions to try and figure out what's going on with you and your organization. Really, whether it's relevant or ends up working for my product or not. And I tell reps, you've got to have your tricks and triggers for how you ask great questions. One of my favorites is, You just always ask a question when you hear an adjective. If someone says, it's really frustrating when this happens, or that's really costly, or listen for the adjective. And then you say, I'm sorry, you said frustrating. What do you mean by frustrating? (laughs) What do you mean by that? Because adjectives are where people's real emotions are and where their feelings are. And you can really start to understand a business pretty clearly when you're asking those kinds of questions as opposed to the kinds of questions that you hear them say, but we don't really like this process. And the natural thing for a sales rep who's maybe product works on reducing time spent on that process, their question is gonna be, oh, because it's very time consuming? Please tell me it's time consuming because that lets me sell. As opposed to question asking, really looking for what's going on with the organization. One of the other, I'd say that's a myth and we talked about it a little bit is that lone wolf, the idea that the best sales rep is this singular producer where they're always team-oriented and team players. One of the best reps we had at Jelly Vision, Max McCready, and he'll understand what I mean when I say this. He's not some a beautiful mind, super strategist, Bengali of sales. He doesn't just think of the most elaborate strategy to get something done. He's just resolute to the process. He goes through the work and he involves anyone he can, who he thinks is maybe better suited than he is to help on something. He's incredibly humble and he does the same where he can help others, he helps. And over the past five or six years that he's been with the company, he has now developed such relationships within the organization that they all will help him. He will help them. And five people on a sale is better than one any given day. One of the last ones, which is the one that really sticks in my craw is, oh, he or she's just a natural 
salesperson. I don't know when this phrase came about, how Glenn Gary Ross, I'm not sure how we all just decided that you come out of the womb and you're just a salesperson. None of us say he's a natural orthodontist. It just, he was just born a natural orthodontist or she's just a natural sculptor. Like, no, any profession, any avocation or vocation that you become good at takes study and practice. And yes, some aptitude and skill, but the most of it is, is real study. And I think our educational organizations and educational systems do a great disservice to the sales profession and the sales world. If you look at, for example, business degrees, the concentrations are almost always accounting, finance, international business strategy. None of them are sales. Marketing is the wannabe proxy. And there are some educational institutions trying to change this. You look at Craig Wharton and Suzanne Yoon are doing at Kellogg to create the sales institute there at Northwestern. But we have to really understand that sales is a discipline like anything else that you can get better at and you can study to do and that there's no natural about it. It's actually quite unnatural and it's a lot more process and rigor than do credit for. So I know that LB is just chomping at the bit for some Gladwellian anecdotes that he's going to throw out there, especially given the things that you talked about, Helen. But I want to I want to call out three things that I heard out of what you just said. So when you're describing the archetypes and how they're false, the actual traits that you're describing, I always look for candidates that display a level of curiosity instead of just asking the surface level question that they think they want the answer to, they dig. So that is one of the check marks that I look for. Then you referenced one of the great reps that you had. And you mentioned that this wasn't somebody that is just Jedi mind tricking people into signing stuff. He's got discipline across process. That's critical too, because success in sales is really about having a PhD, pig-headed discipline, across whatever process or tasks that you have identified as the pathway to get to the outcome. So that's another you know, element that I think is pretty important. And then the last thing, the, to the whole idea of was a natural at sales or natural at, or being an orthodontist, really all of that comes down to being a student. You're constantly having to hone your craft. And I bristle at that aspect of it too, because there's an associated stigma with being in sales where people are automatically thinking, oh, well, the only people that are in sales are dumb people that couldn't do anything else. And maybe that's just my experience, but some of the most brilliant people, like the, the, the constant voracious appetite for information about the particular space that they're in or sales in general, we're constantly looking for what's the trend, where is the market going? What's the customer behavior telling us? And we're A-B testing everything. So I don't, I'm sure every other industry has that aspect of it too. But to say that salespeople are unintelligent, it's, I think it's a bit unfair. Sorry, that's the soapbox alert for the episode. Often they're the most self-taught because as I'm talking about the educational institutions or even managerial tracks, we don't have the same progression of skill growth that you do in other tracks. And all of my engineer friends will 
cringe at me using this as an example, but you know, you have to learn certain engineering skills. You have to learn to code. You have to learn. And until you can code in this language, you can't get that next job. And we don't have that same wrapper around sales to really be making sure that people are progressing as they gain additional skills. And I think that certainly the very modern sales organizations are starting to understand that that career progression isn't just, oh, you hit your quota 10 times, so now you get a promotion. What really are the hard skills we want you to have mastered before you move to this next level? And how, because you haven't been given this education throughout your sort of formal education as a teenager and potentially in college, how are we imbuing that education into our organization? Because you're not necessarily getting taught it elsewhere. And so this idea of, well, salespeople are are not usually the most intelligent, I found to be woefully untrue. They're just the most self-propelled in their learning. And I think that we, we could do more of a service to our people entering the field of sales to actually give them more of that, that structure around the education of what it is to be good at sales. Because it's not just being remarkably likable. It's a lot of remarkably likable people don't sell a darn thing. I was going to say there's a lot to, to touch on, but I would say there's a couple of things. One is that, to Jim's point, and this is something that I saw a few years back, is that we our victims are of our own success from a sales standpoint. And by that, oftentimes companies, a lot of organizations, sales organizations are generally hiring the fresh college grads. They're okay with the person that doesn't necessarily know what they're going to focus on. The one positive outcome from that, I will say, and you touched on this a little bit, is that when you start to see more of this micro-credentialing that's happening in corporations, they are now being more targeted and more focused on saying, okay, we're going to bring people in and we're going to take them from A to Z in a sales process. So I know like in life insurance, there's the whole 1031 model. Mm-hmm. If you know anybody in life insurance, 1031. But some companies out there are doing it really well where they are creating a robust learning platform for people to become proficient in sales. And shocker, it's not easy. It's to your point. So I was chuckling that when you were talking about or the or the dons, but this is actually where an expertise has also it also needs to be uh, cultivated. When you think about the hiring process, though, because you talked a lot about the actual individual, and I think you said his name was uh, Max. Can you share with us for our listeners the hiring process around? cultivating talents. Hiring is the most important thing that any leader in any part of the organization, but explicitly sales can do. And and you talk about where we spend our time getting better. I spend an inordinate amount of time getting better at how you hire, what recruiting looks like, what questions ask, good questions look like, how do you get great talent? I would say hiring is a couple of the things. You want to be very atypical in how you ask the kind of questions to get at what you want to know. An example I often give, Jim, you talked about you want curious people. You want people who ask that next level of question. What's the question I ask to find out if people are curious? I don't. Most interviews are maybe, say, 45 minutes or 60 minutes. Most interviewers, if it's a 60-minute interview, they ask questions for 50 minutes and they give the candidate 10 minutes to ask questions. Pretty easy to fill 10 minutes with your three or five pre-prepared questions. If I have 60 minutes, I talk to you for about 25 minutes. And then you've got 35 minutes where I let you try and talk to me. And 
people burn through those pre-prepared questions really quick. And you got to start to find out, do they know how to ask questions? Do they know how to dive deeper? Are they really curious? Did you say something that interests them? So you have to be very thoughtful in how you're going to ferret out for some of these capabilities or skills that you want to find. And then you have to be arduous and follow the process of good hiring, which is I come out of the interview. I don't, I might love this candidate. I think they are the number one candidate. When I go into the debrief room with everybody else who's interviewed, don't, as the leader, don't seed the win. You can't come in. We love Max, right? No, you come in and you go, what did everybody think? And you be careful. You call on different people to start versus different candidates because people will bias each other. There's great software that allows people to put in their data beforehand, which is also helpful see their unbiased reviews, but you really, you have to make sure you're not biasing yourself. And then I'm a huge fan of the back channel reference. Find out where they worked before, find someone or you can find through someone else and say, Hey, we're looking at this candidate. What do you think of them? Someone who's actually been in the work field with them. So just like there's a process for a sale, there's a process for a hire and don't ever skip a step. Oh, I don't need a back channel reference. This person do it anyway. Everyone unanimously loved them. Do it anyway, because you'll never, you never know what you might find as you're going through all the different steps. So here's my Malcolm Gladwell plug. So he has a book called the outliers. And to your point, if everybody is saying, yeah, it's actually even more reason why you want to have that real affirmation. And, and I think that you're spot on. I've said this several times in our episodes about being the highest ranking person in the room. You always give your opinion last. So I 100% agree with that perspective. It's so funny you talk about Malcolm Gladwell. As I said, my whole background is in behavioral science. So I think people typically of my generation are very, ooh, Brad Pitt. I'm like Richard Thaler, Malcolm Gladwell, Dan Pink. Those are my rock stars. Those are my Mick Jagger. Those are my people. So it's funny that you say that. Yeah. You have to be thoughtful and even say you're not the hiring manager. Say you're the leader and it's one of your hiring managers who's hiring for a role. They're really looking to you. And what I always do is I never try to say, yes, you should, or you know, you shouldn't. I try and say, here's what you're getting with this person. I think you're getting someone who has XYZ qualities. And I think you'll have to offset for XYZ potential shortfall. Do you? feel like those are the qualities you really need for this role? Do you feel like you have enough of a mix in the rest of the portfolio t- of the team or in your own coaching management style to offset? I- I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. Here's what you're getting. And I have a pretty good read on people. And so I'm good about saying, this is the fabric of the person you're getting. Is that what yeah, you want? What's brilliant about that is we oftentimes talk about this whole idea of hiring uh, diverse teams. And I think that line of questioning that you just asked helps to remove as much of the um, bias that is potentially there or what our preconceived notion is or hiring somebody that is like us, which is oftentimes what happens, especially in a sales environment. And that line of questioning that you just talked about and the feedback that you're giving to a leader, an emerging leader who is a hiring manager, I think is brilliant because it helps to take away some of those things that we would otherwise potentially fall on, not intentionally, I think sincerely, not intentionally, but just 
it falls to our default and that helps to avoid the default uh, position. I think it also helps to set you up for those first 90 days, which are a really critical evaluation period. Because if you just say, oh, you should hire them, they're great. Almost turn our brains off. We maybe don't invest in them as much in onboarding. We don't realize they need as much coaching or we just say, oh, they were a great hire. We all decided that. Or they were a risky hire from the beginning. Everyone, every hire has parts they're going to add to the organization and parts where they need to be supplemented. And that starts off that day one. Okay, what are we going to do in our first 90 days with this person to make sure they're successful? We're going to augment the parts that we know they're adding to the organization. We're going to make sure those get shared and imbued. And we're going to set up a supplemental system, whether it be training or a buddy system or whatever, to help them with the parts that we have concerns about. It sets up that tone from the beginning. One of the things that I look for from a hiring perspective when I'm interviewing candidates is I want to identify the people that are willing to challenge a position that I say in an interview. And the reason why it's important for me, and, and, and I joked about this in the chat, if I relied on likability as a critical success factor for sales, I'd be screwed. But what I look for is I'm, I'm very keen to see how willing is this person to challenge a perception that I have, because if they're not willing to challenge you in a relatively safe environment, how are they going to set challenge a customer on a perception in somewhat in a, of an adversarial environment? So what is your take on the validity of that position when I'm interviewing? Where Am I on track, off track? What? I love that. I always try in the recruiting process to elicit and solicit feedback and say to the candidate, maybe we've been through a couple rounds of interview. Hey, how's your interview process been? What could we do better? How, do you think you've, you're interviewing with a lot of companies? You're probably getting courted all over the place. How are we stacking up? What are we doing better? What could I do better? And I think that does a couple of things. One, it gives you amazing feedback. So you're constantly improving your recruiting process. Two, it tests for how well they give feedback, how well they give feedback directly, honestly, but kindly. And it also tells the candidate what kind of organization you're running, that the CRO asks you, how do I get better? And I think that's really important to set the tone from the get-go. And I interview any person who's going to be a part of my organization I talk to, at least for 15 minutes. It doesn't matter if it's the uh, a BDR entry-level position. I talk to every single one of them because I want to hear how we're doing. I want to hear what they think. And I want them to know that none of us are prized possessions here. There's no ivory-towered walls. We are all in it together and anybody can make us better. The question is that if you have someone in the interview process that you think may have the ability, because Jim says that I, I think, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, it sounds like he's like a one or done. So if you don't challenge him, you're like you're out the door. <laughs> but if you have someone that you think might be that you might, it might require some coaxing, is that someone that's a hard pass or is that someone where it may be natural for people to maybe not have that same kind of start, if that makes sense, in terms of being able to determine whether or not they are supposed to, in fact, challenge the idea of our concept. I think if the, you try and prompt a challenge out of them and you don't get it, maybe you give them a couple more at-bats in different ways where you, you might say, hey, we've all had to do it before. We've had to give really tough 
feedback, or we've had somebody say something that we just thought was wrong. Tell me a time that happens. What did you do about it? How did you give that feedback? And you can give them a couple more at bats if they don't know. And I think your point is really important because you talk about diversity in hiring. One of the other fallacies in sales is, well, they're all extroverts. To be good at sales, you have to be an extrovert. And what I would say is to be good at sales, you have to be brave, but brave does not equal extrovert. There are a lot of meek, not resilient, not gritty, sheepish extrovert. And there are a lot of incredibly brave introverts. And so you want to be careful as you're sieving for certain things. Are you just finding people who are incredibly extroverted? Are you really have a sales recruiting process that makes sure that you find those introverts who really are researchers at the end of the day, and they know how to diagnose what's going on with the company and how to be uniquely helpful? That was a great, a great call out to we introverts. And actually, you touch on something that Susan Cain has a book called Quiet. And it talks about uh, introverts and how that there is this uh, predisposition for roles such as sales that you are an actual extrovert. And in fact, it it is to your point, the ones that are oftentimes quiet, methodical, research oriented, and then will reposition in that way and probably ask more targeted, more unearthing sorts of, of questions. If you were, of all the things that you've had, that you've talked about with us today, I should say. What would be some of the key elements that you would like to leave folks with? And I I know you covered a lot, but what are the key takeaways that you would have? I would love for individuals and in my grand dreams, us as a society, to really challenge some of these notions we have of what it means to be a salesperson or what sales even means and check those knee-jerk reactions we have to recoil when you hear a salesperson to really understand what are they trying to do? What is their role? Because at the end of the day, their role is to try and help people solve problems. I don't think any of us would say that's a bad profession. I would challenge you as you, whether you're in sales or you're not, to really think about what part of your job is really sales and what are your preconceived notions about it. And the other thing is I would really love for managers and leaders of sales organizations to think critically about how are their own preconceived notions about what makes a good salesperson, leading them to maybe not build the most productive or optimized sales team that they could have. And how do you really think about what good looks like and even better, what great looks like in your organization and how are you building the infrastructure that begets that? Thank you. Helen, I, I, I truly hope that our listeners We'll have to come up with a title that maybe doesn't have sales in it to give us that opportunity to have the, well, have sales in it, but we have to tie in a title that brings people in because I think that what you're talking about is absolutely important from a sales standpoint. But I also believe that a lot of what you said are just some key best practices for organizations in general. And I would love for the thought and idea of notion of sales being the driving element behind them learning more. We appreciate having you on the show. Those that are listening, that we are on social media platforms, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. We're there because we want to drop information about our next and latest uh, episodes. And this is one that I hope will get uh, a lot of play because I think that, Ellen, you covered a lot of information that is just absolutely powerful. And again, best practices. So we thank you again for being on Cascading Leadership. Absolutely. 
And if, for- if there's, if any of the listeners have follow-up questions or you, you want to chat with me, something else I've learned in my career is that giving opinions, thoughts, or your own experience freely only comes back to make you a happier person and, and help your own career. So if people have questions, I'm on LinkedIn, Helen Calvin, happy to dig in on any of these topics or help follow up or just give two cents if anyone yes, needs it. Absolutely, because you, you can definitely find us by, find Helen by way of either Jim, myself, or Helen is giving you the invitation directly. So please uh, reach out. Thank you for joining us. Tune in next time for another great episode of Cascading Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.